Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Hope everyone had a great Christmas. It's kind of loud, guys. Do I sound loud? Today, uh, I want to speak about this matter of stay the course. Stay the course is a military term used in talking about battle and war. It was made popular by George W. and George H. Bush at the time when there was the Gulf crisis. And this thing about staying the course, it is to, it's to pursue a goal regardless of the adversity, the obstacles, or the criticism, to push forward. And it is the same thing with our spiritual lives, and this is what I want to speak about today. I want to speak about this matter of consecration. Consecration has all to do with you and me individually, but corporately, this matter of consecration becomes the church. This consecration is setting yourself apart unto God. You set yourself apart unto him. I want to read this scripture, the first scripture here. It was very familiar to us. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, this is out of Romans 12, um, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. You see that word? We present our bodies. We don't wait on God. We present our bodies as something voluntary that we do, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That is consecration. That is setting your part unto God. It is not what you may think that you're going to go out to a remote forest and get into the woods and keep away from the allure of the world and then you're going to be safe and you know you're going to be pleasing to God. That is a mistake. To be set apart unto the Lord is in your life, in your job, in your home, in your family. You are set apart unto God, and he has you there for a reason. You are set apart for a purpose. We hear about New Year's resolutions. They don't work. I hate resolutions for one reason. My gym gets crowded. But that's only for two weeks. Then they all go back to being fat and all that. (laughs) Today, I uh, want us to understand that it is not that. It's not going to that remote part of the forest because it is not boring. It is not like I give up all my fun, I give up all my enjoyment so that I can serve God. Nope. God says this, I came that you may have life and that abundantly. That is the truth, that is the promise of God, that we have an abundant life by being in his presence, being set apart unto him. Today I want to illustrate that by talking about a man in the Old Testament. I was saying it last night at a party we went to, and one of the brothers said to me, he says, yeah, you like really speaking about the Old Testament. I love it, because there's stories, and I understand more when I read stories. And this uh, man that I want to talk about, his name is Samson, and we heard about him. We heard it even as a kid, learning about these stories of who Samson was. And he was a judge. Now, we know that a judge is a man that God uses to deliver the children of Israel out of the hand of their enemies. 
And why are they in the hand of the enemies? Because they did evil in the sight of the Lord. They sinned. And God raises up a judge, and the judge comes and delivers them from the enemy. But one thing I want to talk about this man, Samson, is this. Samson is different than any other judge. He is completely different in so many ways, which we'll talk about this morning. At the right time, God raises up this judge. I want us to read this scripture here in Judges. Now, Samson is spoke about in the book of Judges from the 13th chapter to the 16th chapter. There's four chapters related to this man, Samson. <clears throat> now, the sons of Israel did again did evil in the sight of the Lord, so that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. 40 years is a long time. That's a lifetime. Because Samson is so different, yet he's just like me and you in a lot of ways. There was a man from the tribe of Dan. He was a Danite. His name was Manoah. Manoah had a wife, and her, the wife never has, you never hear about her name. She has no name in the scriptures, Gordon. She's known as wife, woman, or mother all the time. There's nothing, we don't know who she is. We just know that she's the wife of Manoah. And uh, here's the thing that is different about it. It says here that his wife was unable to bear children. She was barren. And the angel of the Lord appeared to her and said unto her, Now you are barren and had borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. Here's where the difference begins, because most of the time when you hear about women who are barren in the word of God and unable to bear children, they cry out to the Lord. Remember in the, in, with Jacob's wife Rachel and Leah, Leah was having children, but Rachel was unable to give birth to a son, and she cried out to the Lord. She first cries out to um, to Jacob, and Jacob gets infuriated. What, what do you want me to do, he says. But he cries out to the Lord, and the Lord answers her prayer, and she conceives and gives birth. Later on in the first book of Samuel, uh, you find out that Hannah was sick over the fact that she could not bear any children, and she cried out to the Lord, and the Lord heard her prayer, and she delivered a son. But listen to this. This woman, it's never read in the Bible that she ever cried out to the Lord. You know why? The Lord initiated it. He was the one who started it. It's just like us. We weren't crying out for a savior. We were out doing our own thing and God initiated the whole thing by sending his son. It was God's initiative. This is where this Samson is different. God steps in to the life of these people who were captive for 40 years. He's, whether you think it or not, I'm coming to deliver you. And this is why he is different and yet so much like us. So then the angel of the Lord says this, be careful. He's saying this to the woman, be careful. Do not drink of the fruit of the vine. Do not drink any strong drink and do not eat anything that is unclean. Behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son and a razor shall not touch his head nor, and the boy shall be a Nazarite to God un, from the womb. Now this matter of being a Nazarite, if we look back in scriptures and numbers, a Nazarite is if a man or a woman decided to set themselves apart for a purpose for God that they would not allow them, they wouldn't shave their head, 
because it was a sign. The shape, not shaving the head was a sign that you were a Nazarite. And then you were set apart for a purpose. But when the purpose was completed and you, would, you did what you had to do, then you're no longer a Nazarite. And you know what the funny thing was? At the very end, they would shave their heads and offer their hair as a fire and say, it's done. I'm no longer a Nazarite. I've done what I wanted to do. I was set apart for a purpose. Remember that the hair, which we'll hear later on about Samson, is a sign of the covenant. Like a wedding ring is a sign of the marriage covenant. It is not the covenant. It is a sign of it. And I want, I'm saying, I want to reiterate that because through the story, you're going to get to see some different things about this. So to be a Nazarite is being set apart for a purpose for God, consecrated, devoted, separated to God for a purpose. You are not, and I am not, set apart just to be set apart. You're set apart for a purpose. And the angel of the Lord said that this pope purpose was that he would begin to deliver the children of Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. You know why he says begin? Because Samson never completed what was supposed to be done. David came in and completed the task. You see, the Lord Jesus is Samson and David, the author and the finisher. Isn't that amazing? He is the author and the finisher of everything. Because we as men and women can't complete tasks sometimes because we get diverted to do other things. Just as Moses' purpose was to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt, Joshua's purpose was to lead the children of Israel into battle, and then David's purpose was he would be the king to lead God's people. It's always for a purpose. Our purpose in this world here today us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we, as Paul says in Ephesians, that we're here to manifest, to show this wisdom, this magnificent wisdom of God to the world, to the Gentiles. Let the, everyone see, even rulers and principalities in heaven. We are there to say that Christ was sent here for the main purpose of showing the greatness of who he is and how much he cares for the people. That is our purpose. This is who we are. It is God's eternal purpose, if you read in Ephesians 3. Here's the next thing that is different. He was called to be a judge before he was even born. Does that sound familiar? You know what it says about in Ephesians about me and you? That you, if you are a believer in Christ, that you were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. I was called, before I was Stephen, I was called by God to be a believer and to follow Christ. I didn't have, I was not even around. I wasn't a thought. None of us were here. It was before the world was created. But he knew one day that Stephen Ray would give birth to a son and that I was going to be called. You know how I know I was called? Because I believe. Because you can't believe unless God calls you. People get afraid about this predestination. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you were chosen before the foundation of the world for a purpose. I'm glad he called my name. 
I'm glad he called me. Manoah's wife conceives and gives birth to a son and named him Samson. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him. And I'm going to get back to that in a minute. Remember that. The Lord began to stir Samson. Remember, he was called. And God now is going to start to do things in his life. Manoah said, now when your words come to pass, he's talking to the angel that came and visited Manoah's wife and told him that she was going to give birth. Now he's talking to him. Now when your words come to pass, what shall be the boy's mode of life or vocation? So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, let the woman pay attention to all that I said. It almost sounds like God didn't answer the question. He's just saying, make sure your wife doesn't eat Fruit of the vine, strong drink, and do not eat anything unclean. But he did answer. You see, when God spoke to them, it all comes down to obedience. The reason why God is blessing the boy and the only reason why the God is beginning to stir him because even the mother had to be obedient because obedience is the part that we miss sometimes. Without obedience, you will not see where God is going to take you. We need that. With obedience comes vision and direction. First comes obedience. The Lord opens our eyes, and then we begin to see where we're to go. Clarity comes through consecration. The reason why I say that, because when you dedicate and you offer yourself up at that living sacrifice, you make the decision to do that, and you have now set apart yourself unto God. When you're consecrated, guess what happens? Clarity. Clarity of what you're going to do what your mode of life is, what your vocation. We know that God's eternal purpose is this, but where do I fit in? What do I do? And it all comes down to obedience and then this consecration in that obedience and then God gives clarity. Listen to what it says here. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him. And this is in his hometown of, I don't even know how to pronounce some of those words. But God begins to stir. You know what that word stir means? To thrust, to impel, to urge in a certain direction. He is trying to show him, this is the way to go. You've been, your mother has been obedient. Your hair has not been shaved. Now I'm going to begin to show you where you are to go and what you are to do. As the Lord begins to stir him, things begin to happen in Samson's life. Let me explain this to make it a little more clearer. When I was a paramedic firefighter in Florida, we would go on structure fires. And a lot of times when we went through the structure fire, that smoke was banked down to the floor. But our primary thing was this. The primary search was so important because our duty as a fireman was to save lives and to save property. But lives is always number one. And we go in, and me and my partner, you go in in twos. You take a set of irons with you, a halligan and a pickaxe, and you grab them in one hand. Your other hand, you get on your knees, and you hold on to the wall. You do a right-hand search or a left-hand search. I'm righty, so I went right. 
So I get on my hands and knees. You can't see your hands in front of your face, but you're trying to find the people in the house so that you can save them. So you keep your hand on the wall and you move around. You're calling their names and you reach out with your legs see if you can feel somebody. And the thing is, is that most of the time they're at the front door, a window, a bed, or a closet. So we go through the whole entire house. It's very fast. And when, if it's a big room, my partner who's behind me and my leg is spread out, he grabs the end of my leg and reaches further into the room. But my hand never left the wall. I never left the wall because there's two things that are so important. First of all, it's direction. When I'm holding onto that wall, I'm going in and out of closets, in and out of bathrooms, in and out of bedrooms, trying to find people. But I know if I keep my hand on the wall, I'm going to end up where I'm supposed to be, at the front door. So if I keep my hand on the wall, there is direction. But the other part is that it is safety and security. When that fire is blowing and going, and you are on that wall... Sometimes it gets frightening because the heat is intense. But the thing is, I have all this protective gear on. I know if I keep my hand on the wall, I'm going to be safe and secure. You see, it's the same thing with the Lord. We need to keep our hand on him. When you... Give yourself up to him and you place your hand on the wall and you're moving in that direction. God begins to give you direction, you know, and you'll end up where the Lord wants you to be. But the second part, it is security. In Christ, when your hand is on him and you are moving in that direction, he is a strong tower. You run into him and you are safe. See how important that is? When there is the, the heat of the trial that you're going through, and you're going through a trial and a tribulation and a temptation, keep your hand on him. Even if it's blowing and going, you have your hand on him, and you run into the tower, and you are safe. He is always there for you. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Just keep your hand on me. Our problem is we take our hand off. Because even in a fire, if I run and get frightened of the heat and I run, I'm going to get lost in the house. And then that will be my demise. But it comes down to keeping your hand on him. In prayer and reading his word, that is what he wants. There is this whole thing, it's like a trilogy. You read his word, you pray, and you have fellowship with one another. That keeps you moving in the direction that God would have you move. Is that pretty clear? Clear as mud? It's clear. When we have that communion with the Lord, he, I guarantee you, he's going to lead you. Listen to these three scripts. I don't even have them up on the screen. Very short. Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. That's a promise. Psalm 48, 14. For such is God, our God forever and ever, and he will guide you until your death. Promise. And in 58, Isaiah 58, 11, it says this. The Lord will continue to guide you. The only way he can guide you is if you are set apart unto him and your hand is upon the Lord. His desire is to guide you. His desire is to show you which way to go. That you would understand the fullness of what God is doing. 
right after this verse 13 and 13 on this last verse here, it goes into chapter 14. Remember the Lord. Let me get you back. The Lord is beginning to stir him, moving him in a certain direction. Well, the very next verse, it says this. This is very strange. Then Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Wait a minute. God is leading in sermon. Why is he going to Timnah? It's strange that he goes there because that's where the enemy is. That's the Philistines. He tells his mom and dad, being a good boy, and he says, I went down to Timnah and I found one of the daughters of the Philistines and I, I really like her. I want her to be my wife. And the mother and father says, wait a minute. Why can't you find somebody from our relatives, from our family? Marry somebody like that. But listen here. However, his father and mother did not know that it was the Lord. What? The Lord is going to have him marry a Philistine? For he was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. Now at that time, the Philistines were ruling over, Egypt, uh, over Israel. Do you understand that God had him go and get attracted? Because he was leading and guiding him. He was stirring him and thrusting him in that direction. He goes to Timnah, finds this Philistine. Now he wants her as a wife. In my, in my head, if somebody in here said, oh, I'm going to marry this person, and I know that that person is not right, I'd say that you're unequally yoked. Why would you go with a woman who is a non-believer? But you see, when your hand is upon the Lord, the Lord may ask you to do things that are not in your wheelhouse, something that is outside of the box. But you would only know that if your hand is on him. It was the Lord's doing. This is the Lord. But because he was obedient, he went where God sent him. Listen to this. This is something that Spurgeon wrote. He's a pretty great guy. In Isaiah 48, 80 says, You have never heard, you have never known. From of old your ear has never been opened. And this is what Spurgeon says. It is painful to remember that to a certain degree this accusation may be laid at the door of believers who too often are some, in some measure spiritually insensitive. Where's their hand? Is it on the Lord? We may well bemoan the fact that we do not hear the voice of God as we should. There are gentle motions of the Holy Spirit in the soul that are unheeded by us. There are whisperings of divine command and heavenly love that are equally unobserved by our dull minds. Sadly, we have been carelessly ignorant. There are spiritual matters that we ought to have seen, corruptions that have been allowed to develop unnoticed, tender affections that also have been unnoticed, Glimpses of the Lord that we might have perceived if we have not barricaded the windows, windows of our soul. Boy, that's pretty heavy. But I see myself in that. 
I miss things because I'm dull in my mind. I'm not walking in the, in the anointing of the Holy Spirit because I'm not in his presence. I'm not reading his word and things come about and I miss things, miss things. We all do it, but God is calling us to have our, our trust and hope in him to lead and guide us. Sometimes God shows us things that are just not, we, we'd have to conceive of, but God is wanting to show it and open up our minds. God's thoughts and ways are higher than ours. That is why it's so important to be in his presence. I, I, I almost sound like a broken record, but I'm trying to get the point across. I don't want to be redundant, but I want to make sure the point goes home. In order to stay the course, we first need obedience. In obedience, the Lord begins to stir us. And when he stirs us, we move in the direction that he has us to be. But now he begins to show us how giftings. You see, when you're in there and you don't know what your gifting may be, you begin to follow after the Lord. While going to Timnah, he passes the vineyards of Timnah and he gets attacked by a young lion. You see, when you begin to move out in the Lord and the Lord begins to show you who you are, the enemy is going to try to stop you. Remember, the enemy goes around like a, a roaring lion seeking somebody to devour. So God has him on a mission. He's going to marry this woman of Timnah, and here comes the lion. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And you know what it says here? That the spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. And he tore the lion as if he was tearing, tearing a small goat or a lamb. He tears this lion. Now this lion, 400, 500 pounds. Nothing in his hand. And he tears the lion and kills the lion. But you hear what it says? The spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. And that's how he defeated the enemy. This is the first time he realizes, I'm strong. What? How, how did this happen? You know, when I was a kid, I watched a movie by Cecil B. DeMille's, great director and producer. And there was a movie called Samson and Delilah. And some of you old folk like me will know that Samson was played by Victor Mature. Big cat, man. He's all muscle-bound, doing all the stuff. That wasn't Samson. That is not true. Samson was like me and you. You didn't, he, you'd never seen any muscles on him. This is the extraordinary part. Being that Samson was like this, people always question, where did he get his strength from? Now, if he looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime, you would never go up to him and say, hey, how come you're so strong? He'd probably say, what are you, stupid? Check these guns out. You see, the reason why they're asking and trying to find out who, why he's so strong, because it's not evident unless he performs. You see, when you perform your gifting, they don't know where it comes from. How does Steve say this? Or how do you do this? And why are you serving? How, where is all this wisdom from? Because the Spirit of the Lord comes in and makes you who God wants you to be. It's amazing what God does with us. Foolish us, people. And he uses us. There's another quote from Spurgeon. His consecration to the Lord was to be his strength. 
For he was to be strengthened according to the glorious power of the Spirit, which worked in him mightily, that his strength by promise, not by nature, might be the type and figure of the spiritual strength that we have. The consecration being set apart unto the Lord was where he got his strength from. By promise, not by nature. It is our consecration. I must say, and I have to say this, consecration is the basis for all spiritual experience. If you are not consecrated, if you're not walking after the Lord, you'll miss things. But God wants to reveal himself, show you who he is and what he has done. After this encounter with the lion, God begins to use him in the calling which he was called to against the Philistines. And every time he encountered the Philistines, he says these words come from God's word and it says, the spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily and he defeated the Philistines. The Lord is his strength. His strength comes from him and he knows it's a gift. When we stay the course and we're obedient, the Lord is always there. In good times and in bad, blowing and going. Even when we're obedient, the Lord allows things in our lives, things that are hard, losing a job, losing a loved one, whatever it may be. But if you keep your hand upon the Lord, he's gonna bring you through. He's gonna get back to where you need to be in the end. He teaches us battle. You know why the Lord said in, in, in Joshua that he says, I left a few of these nations around to teach them war. We need to know about war. It's not that you carry around flowers and peace and flower power and all that. It has all to do with one thing. You need to learn how to battle. You need to know how to do war. And in that, God is victorious. These difficult times that we need to get, become strengthened and know the Lord better. Listen to this poem. This is by Tori, Corey Ten Boom. You know who she is, right? I love this poem. My life is but a weaving between the Lord and me. I cannot choose the colors. He weaveth steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. Whew. See, even though God is all-powerful, when it comes to our relationship, he's not a dictator. He's a gentleman. He's a gentleman. He respects our human will. He does not force his work upon us. He needs our consent in order for, the, for him to work freely in us. Our consecration is our consent. 
You want God to do something in your life? We need to be set apart unto him. Sometimes there's a little growth in us because we have not consecrated ourselves to the Lord. We have to come to the point where we pray to the Lord, Lord, I open the, my, the doors of my heart. Conform me to the image of your son. We will not know the fullness of all that God has done for us and everything that was completed on the cross unless we are set apart unto him. This last thing is I'm going to speak about the last battle he has. The Philistines hate him. They despise him. They can't stand Samson. The Philistines come and camp against Judah. And they go in and Judah comes out and says, why are you coming over here to us? Why do you want to fight us? We come to get Samson because of all that he has done. He says, hold on a second. I'm going to go, we're going to go speak to Samson and see if we can fix this up. So him, the, the tribe of Judah goes, 3,000 men go to the rock to visit Samson. And they say to him, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? Samson must have snickered. He said, that's why I'm here. Because God is your king, not the Philistines, but you've become comfortable. You've become content living in the Philistine camp for 40 years. You're doing everything they do. And now you're so content you don't want to ruffle their feathers. But I've been here called to be a judge, and I'm going to come in and set you free. But you want to be content. So they, they don't listen. You know what they say? Hey, would you, you mind if we just tie you up and bring you there? We're going to bring you over to the Philistines. You don't mind, do you? Samson says, you tie me up. Tie me up all you want, as long as you promise that you don't kill me. And he said, no, we won't kill you. So what happens is they tie him up. He's all bound up, walking towards him. The Philistines begin to cheer because now we got Samson. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily and broke the bonds that he was bound with as if flax burned with fire. They just fell off his arms. And he picked up a fresh jawbone of a donkey and began to fight. It wasn't some old dried out piece of bone. It was something fresh that was just taken out of a donkey. He even had some flesh and meat on it. And he began to beat these Philistines. He said he killed a thousand of them. That is like... Three quarters of this auditorium coming to get me and I kill you all. That is impossible unless it was the God who strengthened him and gave him the ability to do it. One man, one jawbone kills a thousand men. That's God. God could do great exploits with me and you if we have our hand on him. And it says this. Then the word of the Lord says to Samson, judge Israel for 20 years. Wait a minute. This is chapter 15. How come there's 16 chapters in doing with Samson? What happened here? Why does it say it sounds like it's over? This is where the wheels fall off. You see, Samson has been victorious in all these battles. Pride started sneaking in. He started thinking that he can defeat any enemy, anything. 
Anything he confronts, he gonna, he's going to get it happening, no matter what. But one thing he didn't know is that he couldn't fight the enemy within. He lusted after women. And he went down to Gaza and went to a prostitute. Blatant sin. But you see, the word of God says that at midnight he woke up, and a lot of theologians think that he came to his senses in the middle of the night. And he says, this ain't a place for a Nazarite, someone who's dedicated to God. And the reason why they say that, because he gets up. They were going to wait to kill him, but he gets up, and he pulls the gates out of the ground with the bars and the posts, puts them on his shoulder, and walks for several miles up a mountain with the gates. That's why they think he must have repented, because the strength is still there. See, God knows these things. God knows what's happening. And yet, he is gracious to continue on with him. So then he gets done and he goes to another woman. This guy, I don't know what's going on with him. He just lusts after women. He goes and finds this woman called Delilah. My, 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 Delilah. And they get enticed. The Philistines come up to him and says, could you entice your husband? Find out where his strength comes from so that we can take him. And it says that she steadily badgered him, that Samson was bothered to death of this nagging of this woman. And it says he told her everything that was in his heart. So he told her all that was in his heart and said to her, a razor has never come on my head. For I've been a Nazarite to God from the mother's womb. If I am shaved, then my strength will leave and I will become weak and be like all other men. Remember I told you before, it's not in the hair, it is in the decision. We can stop being a dedicated unto the Lord, set apart unto the Lord. It's us. We make that decision. It's not has anything to do with it. It's just like that wedding ring. If it's not on you, people don't think you're married. It's a sign of the covenant, not the covenant. This was a sad scene. This man, Samson, could have been one of the greatest judges of all time, being a Nazarite unto God from the womb until his death. But the wheels came off. You see, the reason why it's so sad, he had a fight between a choice between being faithful to God or maintaining this relationship with Delilah. And he chose the latter. Then she had a man come in and had Samson fall asleep in his lap, in her lap. And it says that the man came and shaved off his seven locks of hair. Seven is a sign of perfection. As a Nazarite, you are perfected unto God. God is using you. You're moving in that direction. And this man shaves all his hair off his head. And the Philistines come in and he gets all up and thinks that it's going to be just like always. And he's weak. His strength is gone because he made the decision to stop being a Nazarite unto God. So the first thing that happens is he is weak. 
The gifting that me and you have, if you walk away from the Lord, you'll find that there's the power is gone. It is no longer there. You become dull and insensitive. There's no more life. And we become weak and, and weak members in the body of Christ. And you know who suffers in that body of Christ? Us. When you walk away from being your Nazarite person. But if we remain in that state, the next thing happens is you become blind. You see, when the Philistines came in, he became weak first, and then they gouged out his eyes. You see, you begin to become blind to God's word and the leading of the Holy Spirit because you didn't want to give up your sin. You didn't want to stop doing what you were doing. But there's hope. There's hope. When Samson was now a prisoner grinding in the mill, blind, he noticed that his hair is starting to grow back. And the enemy didn't notice it, or they were too stupid to notice it. And he, and most theologians think, it's coming to the point where he is repenting. He sees himself, he's blind, weak, and not doing what God had planned for him to do. And Samson calls out to the Lord, listen to this here. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, please remember me and please strengthen me just this one time. That I may at once avenge the Philistines for my two eyes. Blinded him to see what God was going to do. And he goes, and a young boy, he calls this young boy to lead him to the main supporting pillars of the temple. And there's all these Philistines in there and all cheering and bringing out Samson to entertain him like a clown. And he comes in this boy, and they don't even realize it, put him by these two supporting pillars. And he pressed against with all his might and knocked the temple down of Dagon and killed more people in his death and in his life. Still sad. Because he would have went down as one of the greatest victors, the greatest, the greatest judges of all of Israel. But he decided not to do it and go the other way. The choice is with you and me. This is a new year, saints. Loved ones, listen. If you do not make that choice and you are not resolute in what you are doing, you will fall. You will stumble and you will not be victorious in this life. You have to make that decision. Set apart yourself unto God and put your hand on him and then you will be victorious. But it comes down to you making that decision, not God. Don't wait for feelings. Don't wait for anything. You have to be strong enough to say, I am setting myself up, pushing myself towards the Lord, putting my hand on him no matter what happens. There is victory in that. All it takes, if you are wandering away, turn around and repent. Stop doing what you're doing, and God will restore. That's who he is. That thing I read to you before has the end of this, what Spurgeon said. Now listen to this. This is our hope. But we have never known, it says. As we think of this, we are truly and deeply humbled. How we must adore the grace of God as we realize from the context that all of our folly and ignorance was foreknown by God. It, what Samson did wasn't a shock. He knew it was going to happen. And yet, he chose him. 
and chose me and you, knowing of all of our foibles and all the things that we've done. He still chose you and me. And notwithstanding that foreknowledge, he has still been pleased to deal with us in mercy. Ponder and admire the marvelous sovereign grace that could have chosen us in the sight of this. Wonder at the price that was paid for us when Christ knew what we would be. He who hung upon the cross foresaw us as unbelieving, backsliding, cold of heart, indifferent, careless, lax in prayer. And yet he said, I am the Lord God of Israel. How does he do this? This immense love. I am the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you. Peoples in exchange for your life. How wonderful and how glorious is this redemption when we think how sinful we are. Holy Spirit, give us from now on a hearing ear and an understanding heart. That should be our prayer. Do you know in Romans it says this, that the callings and giftings of God are irrevocable. They are there forever. That calling that is in your life has not stopped. It's still there. We just need to return to the Lord if we have left him. Place your hand upon him and say, I dedicate myself once again. And I will be resolute that I will follow you until my death. This is what God is calling us to. Not a New Year's resolution, but be resolute about this one thing, that you keep your hand on him in prayer and reading his word and fellowship. Let's pray. Lord, I don't even understand your patience and how you deal with me. But Lord, you are just amazing, Lord. You take us back. You died on the cross while we were your enemies because you knew that your eternal purpose will come to pass. I pray, Lord Jesus, today that we would be resolute about this matter of offering ourselves to you as a living sacrifice, that we may be those ones that are used mightily by you, and that we would not end up like Samson, Lord. Lord, I know that these things are, are written for our instruction, Lord, and we stand and hold fast to this very thing, that we would trust you with our lives and that we would have this life and that abundantly. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.